We are called to conquer, not just cope. Can you say amen? In learning to conquer, we see the lessons that rise right out of the pages of Scripture through those who face very real battles. As we're looking into those, we see this mantra that has helped us. Here it is. As we pray and praise, the supernatural empowers the natural. This is how we conquer. Being supported by these great stories of the Bible to learn and to apply. I think one of the great lessons that is coming out of all of this is encouraging our faith that our God is bigger than anything we face. Bigger than any trial, bigger than any battle. This little boy was locked in his car seat, and his mom, they were going down the road, and he said, Mom, is, is God bigger than the trees? She said, Yes, son, he's bigger than the trees. Mom, is God bigger than the cars? He said, Yes, God is bigger than the cars. They were making their way on their trip, and he said, Mom, is God bigger than Target? Yes, son, God is bigger than Target. Mom, is God bigger than Super Target? I love it. Yes, son, God is even bigger than Super Target. This little boy processing and trying to assess the greatness of God. And as that boy grows up, he'll come to realize That's the most important thought he will ever have. His concept of God will be the most important about his heart because what comes into his mind when he considers the greatness of God will be the cause of his ability to conquer. Let's come together to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I've been looking forward to this passage. It's one of my favorite in the Bible. We could spend a lot of time with this. Let's begin at verse 1 and allow it to inspire and help us today. After this, the armies of the Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the Meunites declared war on Jehoshaphat. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. They are already at Hazazon Tamar. This was another name for Engedi. First part of verse 3 says, Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news. Now for a moment, just pause and think about it. He's terrified because three armies are coming together to attack him. Here's when you know you have a real battle, when you're overwhelmed. How do you know you have a real battle? When you are emotionally distressed. You know you have a real battle when you feel powerless. Later on in the text, we'll see Jehoshaphat just saying, well, I don't know what to do. We're powerless in this one. Sometimes we have options. There are some battles where there are no options in the natural. You have a battle when you're overwhelmed, emotionally distressed, and powerless. If you find yourself in one of those descriptions, let's learn today. It says that he heard this news, and he begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judah and Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard at the temple of the Lord. He prayed, 
O Lord God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are the ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. O our God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived? And did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? Your people settled here and built this temple to honor your name. They said, whenever we are faced with any calamity, such as war, plague, or famine, we can come to stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored. We can cry out to you to save us, and you will hear us and rescue us. And now we see what the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir are doing. You would not let our ancestors invade those nations when Israel left Egypt. So they went around them and did not destroy them. Now see how they reward us. For they have come to throw us out of your land, which you gave us as an inheritance. O our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. That's his prayer. We just got to listen in to this man pray in the face of an overwhelming, emotionally distressing, powerless situation. We got to listen in as Moses prayed. We stepped into when Joshua fought in the valley and Moses prayed on the mountain. And as Moses prayed and raised the priority and the intensity of prayer, Joshua was empowered and prevailed. We listen in as Jehoshaphat raises the priority and the intensity of prayer. And as we go into this next part, there's going to be a phrase, and I'm going to ask you to say it out loud. You'll say it with me. Now, I know that we all carry different versions. I'm, I'm reading from the New Living. Some of you have the OSU version of the Bible. and Some of you have the OU version of the Bible. So when we get to this part of the Scripture, you would look to the screen so that we all say the same thing. And I wanted to, to seed in our hearts a great word today. I will cue you. You'll probably see that it's underlined and in bold on the screen. You'll know. So verse 13 says, All the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, wives, and children. The Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. His name was Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Metaniah, a Levite who was a descendant of Asaph. He said, Listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty, mighty army. Are you ready? Say it with me. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Would you say it again? For the battle is not yours, but God's. Skipping down to verse 21, after consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. Now let me just pause, and do you see our lesson, our mantra, as you pray and praise. We see this combination in Jehoshaphat's response. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. At the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start 
fighting among themselves. The armies of Moab, Ammon, turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. After they had destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. King Jehoshaphat and his men went out to gather the plunder. They found vast amounts of equipment, clothing, and other valuables, more than they could carry. There was so much plunder that it took them three days just to collect it all. On the fourth day, they gathered in the Valley of Blessing, which got its name that day because the people praised and thanked the Lord there. It is still called the Valley of Blessing today. The mantra, as we pray and praise, the supernatural empowers the natural. This is how we conquer. It gripped me when it said that the valley where the fight would happen was transformed to the valley of blessing because they praised God there. How, I wonder, do you come into information that would indicate you're going to have a very intense battle. All right, it starts this way. You're overwhelmed, emotionally distressed, and you feel powerless. And that valley of such battle is transformed into a valley of blessing where you end up with more blessing than you can count and carry. And the place that was going to be your greatest challenge is now marked by a name of God's special, abundant, amazing, incredible, lavish blessing. We need to look into this and learn from Jehoshaphat's response of prayer and praise and see how it moves from thousands of years ago in a faraway place to right into the valleys of distress and battle that we have today until when this service is over, may those valleys be turned into valleys of blessing. Amen? Okay, here, here, here it is. Let me just give you the message in a nutshell. Jehoshaphat shows us that we are to transfer the problem to God. The battle is the Lord's. And as we transfer the problem to God, we then take up a position. It is a position of praise. And as we take on a position of praise in the face of the enemy, God starts sorting it all out. God begins to work supernaturally. Our work in the natural, we make the transfer. In the natural, we take on a position of praise. The supernatural allows us to receive sustenance, the provision of God in the face of the battle, and then he allows us to be poised as God sorts it out. Let me just get a word of testimony for a moment. 
How many of you have been in a situation in the past, and as you reflect on it, as you sought God, somehow you, you transferred that burden to God, you held to God through praise, and God uncomplicated that situation one miracle after another until you are here today and you can say what was going to be your most intense battle, God turned it and now you see the blessing of God in that valley. Praise the Lord. What's it mean to transfer the battle to God? When we say the battle is the Lord's, how do we make it more than just a good thing to say but an an action of our heart in the time of need? Here's to me what supports Jehoshaphat's ability to say the battle is the Lord's. He became historical, not hysterical. He said, are you not the God who drove out the inhabitants of the land from your people Israel? Are you not, notice the history, the reflection, the God who brought Israel in and has sustain them. Where is another great time that we hear someone say, the battle is the Lord's? It's David. When he went to face Goliath, all of Israel is in fear and and coward and unwilling to fight. And David says, I'll fight him. They said, you can't. And David said, hey, the, the battle is the Lord's. What supported David's ability to make the transfer? David said, As I was keeping my father's sheep, at times a lion would come out or a bear. And as they would attack the sheep, I would have to defend the sheep. Perhaps on another day a message would be, you know he prayed that the lion would never come out. That the bear would never attack. But they did. What do you do when you you, you wish you didn't have to face the attack? You have to realize there's something about the glory of God that's revealed when your back is against the wall. There's something about the glory of God that is revealed when you have no other option but a miracle. There's something about the glory of God that is revealed when your faith is stretched beyond to where you go, man, I'm distressed, I'm overwhelmed, and I feel powerless. You learn something about God in those situations. And so it was David who became historical and said, you know, as the lion and the bear attacked, God gave them over. God gave me the victory over the lion and the bear. And the same God who gave me the victory then will give this giant over into my hands. The battle is the Lord's. He said, who is this Philistine? Well, everybody knows it's Goliath the champion of Gath, he's not saying, let's identify him because we don't know him. He's saying, be reminded of his identity. He's a Philistine. He is not in covenant with God. David is saying, we're Israel. We're in covenant. Blood has been shed that has formed a covenant. He's not on the Lord's side, and God is not on his side. God is on our side. And this battle is God's because if he's our enemy, then he's God's enemy. 
We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We are fighting the devil. And the devil is not in covenant with God. The devil is not on God's God's side. He is on the other side. We are in covenant with God. Blood has been shed. And our battle is God's battle. The battle is the Lord's. I transfer the battle by being reminded that the devil is the enemy, not flesh and blood. And the devil is the very enemy of God and God has already defeated him and God will empower us to to go out and pick up the plunder of this present victory we're going to win. So we make the transfer supported by reflecting on where God helped you in the past, where God proved himself and it's now marked as a place of blessing. It's the same now. And he says, now take the position. You don't have to transfer it to God. You have to take up this position of praise. And we, we can't rush over this. It's not easy to get in a, an attitude of praise when you're facing the enemy. It's the natural w- response when the battle's over and you won. It's, it's natural to praise God on the other side of the Red Sea when you're across and safe and all of your family and provision and the enemy has been swallowed up. Then you can start a praise service. It is unnatural to get in a position of praise before the battle is over. It is is not easy to take on an attitude of praise in the face of an enemy. Remember, we saw it in Jehoshaphat, we see it in ourselves, when we feel overwhelmed. When I feel overwhelmed and yet I need to praise, that's that's a tension inside of me. When I feel emotionally distressed, yet I need to praise God, that's a tension. When I feel powerless, like... It's over. It's done. I, I feel that tension. So I, I'm reading through this passage. God, God, if reflecting on history helped Jehoshaphat and his people make the transfer of the burden to you, what supported their ability to praise in the face of the enemy? And I just read it and kept reading it, and it said that the word of the Lord came through Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah the grandson of Benaiah. Hmm. I think we're supported to praise in the face of being overwhelmed and emotionally distressed when we're reminded about how God changes the odds. Benaiah, who fought two Moabites at the same time, two against one, there are the odds, two against one. Let me explain. They also had spears. All, all Benaiah had was a club. Those two Moabites were known to be giants. Commentaries say they were both at least two feet taller than Benaiah. The laws of boxing say the boxer that has the reach has the advantage, and the odds are in that, that boxer's favor. These two Moabites, they're taller, bigger, and they have a spear, like a sharp spear, like... Like, we already have the reach, but we also have a spear. Every advantage belongs to the two Moabites. But the Bible says that Benaiah was empowered of God, and he defeated both of them, even though the odds were set against him. Gideon is told by God, you need to go out and fight the Midianites. Now, there's hundreds of thousands of the Midianites. Gideon, you have 32,000, but Gideon, that's way too many. 
If you go out and defeat the Midianites with 32,000, even though they, they outnumber you by many times over, then your, your people will think they won the battle. And so you've got to cut this number from 32,000 down to a lesser number. So they cut it down to 10,000. And God says, okay, 10,000 against hundreds of thousands, still too many, Gideon. And so they go through this interesting process until Gideon is left with 300. 300 against hundreds of thousands. So you see the odds of that situation. Now, let's get factual here. The hundreds of thousands in the Midianite army, they are fully resourced with the latest weaponry. The 300 of Gideon's army, they go out with trumpets and clay pots. Who is the odds-on favorite in that battle? It would be the Midianites. Not even difficult. All of your money would be on the Midianites. There is no way that Gideon's 300 will win. All they have is 300 with clay pots and trumpets. But you know the story. As they sounded the trumpet, and as they broke the clay pots, and the little light in the clay pot shined across the valley, God used their natural and put in it His supernatural And Gideon's 300 won the battle that day because when God gets involved, it changes the odds. One of my favorite stories is in 2 Kings 6 where this group of young people, they're building a place for discipleship and they're building and one guy's using an axe and as he's using the axe, the axe head flies off and goes into the river and the axe head sunk and the young man's distressed because he had borrowed the axe. Have you ever borrowed something and it broke? And don't you hate that? Well, he's feeling all distressed and he goes to the prophet and he's all messed up and, and the prophet says, what's up? He says, I'll tell you what's up. The axe head has fallen off and it has sunk. And, you know, I don't even know why that's a big deal, but it was a big deal because to God, everything is like just the same. To the infinite, all the finites are equal. So if you're at a wedding and you run out of what you need, which is like, is that that big of a deal? It can still make the pages of Scripture as a miracle because whether it's cancer or just the common cold, all of the finites are equal to the infinite. So God gets involved even with an axe head that has fallen off. and, And you know, you drop your keys in a river, they're not floating, they're gone. History, see ya, get new keys. They, much less an axe head, an iron axe head. And the Bible says that the supernatural power of God began to work. You should just read this story and let your mind just explode with the creativity of God's power. It says, and the axe head started to swim. Wow, what are the odds that when you pray for an axe head to like rise from the bottom of the river and swim back to you. What are the odds? They're not in your favor. But yet when God gets involved, it changes the odds. Oh, we got to get 5,000 people fed. All we have are five loaves and two fish. And if each one was a meal, that's seven. You're, all, you're now 4,993 meals short. Here's what the disciples said. It would take us eight months' wages to buy the food necessary to feed all these people. Send them away. It's impossible. God says no. God blesses the five loaves and two fish. See, 
Five plus two to us equals seven. But when God gets involved, five plus two equals 5,000 with a remainder of 12. Because there were 12 baskets left over. Are you seeing what supports my ability to praise in the face of the enemy? It's because there is a God who is not intimidated, insecure, or unable to confront even when the odds are stacked against us. There's no other treatment. Doctors say there's nothing else they can do. There's, there's no financial solution here. There's no way your marriage is going to make it. This pain can never be healed. Well, that's all in the natural. And that's looking at the odds in the natural. I remind you that Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, grandson of Benaiah, grandson of Benaiah, who not only killed two Moabites, but he also chased a lion into a pit on a snowy day. What are the odds? What are the odds when a lion gets to be 500 pounds and can run 35 miles an hour and, and has far better sight than even a person who has 20-20 and you have the audacity to chase that lion and the lion goes into a pit because that's like home field advantage for the lion and let's just add a little snow. And so now you're in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. The odds say who's coming out of the pit alive. Talk to me. The lion. The lion will come out of the pit. Benaiah, that pit will become his grave. But the Bible says Benaiah chased that lion into a pit on a snowy day, and he killed it. So is it intentional that God made sure that the people knew they were hearing from Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, grandson of Benaiah, who had faced the odds being against him so that they can say, well, if he faced a two-to-one situation, and they were giants, if he chased a lion into a pit on a snowy day, then we can stand and praise in the face of these three enemies that have formed a coalition to attack us. Now, do you see the lesson there? Because if we look at the odds in the natural, we'll be defeated and we're going to magnify our problem. When you take this approach and you praise God, you take a position of praise, you start to magnify God and realize that God is able. And there's just something about giving the burden over to the Lord and right in the face of it, praising God. Now, this is not easy. But are you willing to face your situation and praise in the face of that burden? Chronicles of Narnia are very fascinating. And Aslan, who is like the lion who's playing the part of God, uh, in one of the stories... Lucy, the little girl who hasn't seen Aslan in a year, she sees Aslan, who is in the part of God, and she says, Aslan, you have gotten so much bigger. And Aslan says, no, I haven't gotten bigger. You're just one year older. And he says, as you get older, I will get bigger to you. 
as I reflect on what God has done in my past. And I've come this long in the journey. I go, God, it seems to me you're bigger. And God says, no, I'm not any bigger. You're just one year older. You have come through some things by my power. You have learned to see my faithfulness with your back against the wall. You have, you have learned to praise when you didn't know what else to do and you found that there was a provision even in that moment. As our worship team comes back today, it is now time to apply the lesson. It's not enough to talk and leave it there. It is now time for us to transfer our burden to the Lord. How do we transfer? By reflecting on God's faithfulness. Are you not the God who, and just reflect your word of testimony. Are you not the God who gave me the lion and the bear, and you're the God who will give me this present victory. The battle is the Lord's. I start there. And once I make that transfer, it's like I give it to you, Lord. I cast my care upon you. Now you keep those hands up, and you praise right in the face of the enemy. And as you praise, I don't know how, I just know God has proven himself to be the one who can sort it out. In that context, he calls the enemy to turn on themselves. And Jehoshaphat's army, when they got to the lookout place, the enemy was dead. God had worked it out. He's going to do the same for you.